Well, I'm Lifeful. This is George G. And the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, Strong Up Powerful, Joe Salustio. Joe, are you ready to do this? I'm always ready, George. Thanks for having me. Excited to have you back on the show. As a matter of fact, let's go. Joe is a higher education expert. He is the host of the Ed Up Experience podcast. He is a keynote speaker. He's a best-selling author of the book Commencement, Beginning of a New Era of Higher Education. Joe, excited to have you back on the show. Refresh our memory. Tell us a little bit about your personal life, more about your work, and why you do what you do. All right, man. Well, I'm in uh, currently in St. Charles, Missouri, looking out at the football field at Lindenwood University, where I am the Senior Vice President of Lindenwood Global and Strategic um, uh, Enrollment Operations. Uh, I'm blessed to be here. It's been an amazing uh, relocation since the last time I talked to you from Southern California to Missouri, a little bit of a cost of living difference. Um, I am, uh, I've been in higher education for over 20 years in both for-profit and nonprofit uh, types of institutions. And I've got a beautiful wife, an eight-year-old little girl named Gemma, a five-year-old champ named Julio. And uh, life is good, my friend. It is, I'm glad to be on the earth right now. Nice. Well, certainly congratulations on everything. We talked last uh, about right at the end of 2020, and obviously the world was going through major changes, and now you've gone through major changes, and the way that we're thinking about things, particularly, certainly education, has changed. So tell us a little bit about, uh, I, I guess I, I'm curious a little bit about the experience of writing the book, kind yeah. of why, why why you wrote it, what, tell us, tell us a little bit about it. Well, um, so the way this uh, took place, and you'll appreciate this as a fellow podcasters. We, you do enough of these episodes, and we started to ask every guest the, the same ending question, which is, "What do you see for the future of higher education?" And these are all folks we interview that are in and around higher ed, and we just got an incredible amount over us over a spectrum of of different types of ideas. We thought, what are we going to do with all these podcast episodes? And we had, at that point, interviewed maybe 150 college and university presidents from all across the world, University of Florida, Rutgers, I mean, just everywhere. And uh, so we took the first 125 college and university presidents, and we took that question, what do you see for the future of higher education? And it became the context for writing the book. So um, although I have a co-author, her name is Kate Colbert. And although the idea came from the uh, co-founder of the Edup Experience podcast and my partner, Alvin Freitas, to write the book, it's really written by 125 college presidents with my co-author and I guiding the conversation. So it's a real hard look into what's going on in and around higher ed. Why do you care? Why does anybody care? Well, you're either thinking about going back to school, you are in school, or you're thinking about sending one of your kids to college or maybe not. And even if it's a maybe not, you need to know what's going on in education. So that's how the book came to be anyway. Well, that makes a ton of sense. And certainly the opportunity to speak with 125 presidents or leaders in higher education, that's the perfect proving ground for it. So I assume that there's through lines or is it just lines. like it's yeah. going to be different and it's consistently going to be different? You know, we wrote it... Um, we wrote it to be non-academic. That was that was like the baseline foundational requirement that if you're a person who maybe picks this up, you don't have anything to do with higher education other than a, a, a glancing interest. You pick up this book and you go, oh, wow, this is relevant to me. And it's not written in a um, uh, 
I don't know what what I would say, pompous, higher education, technical, scholarly sort of way. It's the opposite of scholarly. It's written with big pull quotes, and it's the 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 for uh, the format of the podcast. Uh, George is very organic, much like this. Like what? Let's just have a conversation. So I really like to make my guests comfortable, and when you do that, you know they give you a lot more insight. And so the some of the insights I got were real, real talk about equity and affordability and debt and all these items. So really the book is written and we say it's a devil's advocate and a love letter to higher education because what somebody, a president says in chapter three gets absolutely dismantled in chapter five and vice versa, because it's different people coming from different perspectives. So the main thread and through line is we love the work but we need to change higher education if we hope to survive because there's a lot of institutions, maybe even in your area and others that are closing down well-known institutions, sometimes with a hundred year, 200 year history. And they close because they're no longer, um, they don't have the financial sustainability to, to keep moving. I, I, I love all of that. I think that making anything accessible is a really, really important thing and not easy to do. So kudos to you on doing that. And I love the idea of being devil's advocate as well as a love letter. Strikes me that there's probably a lot of wonderful things going on going on in higher education. But from the outside looking in, it looks like there's a lot of BS going on there too, Joe. Well, that's that, you know what? That is what the general public perceives of higher ed is when you think about higher education, I think one of the fallacies that we have you think Ivies, you think, you know, what are the first brands that pop in your head when you think higher education, you know, and it's probably not your local community college. It's probably the story you heard or the movie you saw about Harvard or Yale or somewhere else. But higher education, about 98% of it is non-Ivy. Um, there's lots of institutions, small, private, public, nonprofit, for-profit that make up the other 98%. So um, part of what I think we're trying to do with this book is to help reestablish trust in higher education, which is lost, right? The general public goes, is this degree worth it anymore? Why the heck do I need a degree when I can go get skills and I can go to get a job? And if you can't show me the skills to job pathway, then I don't see an ROI and I'm a much more financially savvy consumer than I was 10 years ago. And so I want to know what the ROI is. What is it? Is it a financial ROI? Is it a non-financial ROI. So, you know, how do we get the public's trust back? And part of that is being vocal about the work that we do in higher ed. We do noble work. We change the lives of students, but we all, we always, I would say we always, most of us don't tell that story. We allow the public to tell the story of higher education. You see the news, varsity blues and all the scandals that come out of higher ed, but every day there's amazing work that happens. That's why people keep going to college still. I think that that's really well said. And I think that whether we've lost trust in other different societal organizations, you know, legacy media, uh, whatever, we, we, we really question everything. We're questioning how we police our communities and how we educate our kids and where we work and how we work and all these things. That seems like it happened pretty fast. But I also think that we can shift back pretty fast, too. Yeah, you know, one thing COVID did for us as a pivotal moment, much like other industries, was higher ed was a change adverse industry. Uh, it's been doing what it's been doing for 200 years, you know, for for as far back as any of us can remember. Or even if you had parents that went to college and their parents, 
Um, so it's been doing what it's always done, which are like the seven worst words in business, right? Uh, the way we've always done it. I don't know how many words that is. You get the point uh, that, that that we have done it in a certain way. And now all of a sudden COVID comes through like tidal wave and says, you can't do it this way anymore. You got to go online if you were on ground. And if you were residential, you can't live on the campus anymore. And if you do come to campus, you can't interact with anybody. And then all of a sudden online learning explodes. Um, and we say that there's a big difference between learning online with uh, programs designed for online learning and taking a program designed for a, a brick and mortar institution and sticking in an online course is a big difference. And so students had varying, a lot of variability of experience in there. So the lessons for us were in hired were what are other businesses do to remain relevant? You know, why can you, George, move $75,000 between your bank accounts online in a single click of a button, but you can't enroll in an institution in that same amount of time for your education. Why can you sign a mortgage for a house, for a million dollar house if you're buying a house? And it how long it takes a real estate agent like an hour to draw up a document and you can sign it and buy a million dollar house in no time. But in higher education, it takes a long time to do things. Why is that? So how do we learn from retailers and from customer service facing uh, industries and organizations to say, this is what a consumer in education expects the same thing out of this institution as they do from Amazon. That's a tricky right? one. That's a tricky one. And yep. this is the way we've always done it, or this is how it, I imagine that some of the names that I'm thinking of, your traditional Ivy, your your Ivy League institutions, some of them are probably really going to struggle with this because they probably have boards, whatever. They just this is how we do things. We are insert name of school and it's going to come back around and then there's organizations i assume like the ones that you've been associated with and are that are really on the cutting edge of change and are easily and nimbly moving through things you know the ivies don't have to change and they won't um they got when you have a billion dollars in the bank or more than that five billion six billion dollars the what changed for the ivies is when they go test optional so if you got a high school kid who's always thought about going to yale and their SAT score wasn't that good, would never apply normally. But during COVID, these schools go test optional. So then you apply to Yale anyway. So their applications went through the roof and they got to say that the beautiful thing about higher education, a beautiful and horrible thing, is that what other industry do you know that celebrates the number of customers you turn away, right? It's like, I brought up Amazon. Amazon doesn't come out and put out a press release that says, we had 20,000 potential customers, but we only sold a thousand of them. <laughs> Congratulations to us. Um, that's what higher ed is really good at. So part of what's changing the conversation is accessibility and affordability. You know, how do you include more than you exclude when it comes to students? And how do you value those institutions, the like community colleges and small privates that are going to really invest in you and your personalized learning where somewhere else you're not gonna get that same level of attention. you know. So how do you serve every student rather than just the ones you want to serve? And that's a big question, especially with, um, with uh, I say people our age, um, when you're an adult and you got kids and you're thinking about going to get another degree, the, the institution designed for the 18 year old high school student is not where you're picking. You're picking, you're an adult learner, a working learner. So what's the institution doing to serve you when you have one hour at night to do homework when your kids go to sleep? That's the question for about 40 million 
Americans that have some college and no degree right now? That is a big question right there. How many educate how many institutions of higher learning currently exist in the United States? Is that knowable? There's about four thousand Title Four grant Title Four is financial aid granting institutions in the US of all sizes, publics, privates, private, for profit, nonprofit, so on. So there's a lot, right? And that's one of the reasons why some institutions are closing, because there's not there's less students to go around because the birth rates have declined. So there's less 18-year-olds, and a lot of institutions are recruiting those 18-year-olds. So what we see is we see a lot of traditional institutions moving to online to try to serve those 40 million adult learners. Boy, is that a different model. You can't just go, hey, we've been serving the 18-year-old with um, with uh, you know cafeterias and football fields, and now I've got to serve an adult learner seven states away who will never come to my campus. Uh, it's a different stance that you have to take and a different structure. So when you're thinking about serving those 40 million adult learners, what are the what are the key variables? I, I think about obviously certification, some kind of a degree. Think about networking and connections, affordability. What what are some of those variables? Oh, uh, the ultimate question: cost, affordability. Right when you're when you're a working learner and you're working to put food on the table for yourself or your family, the decision you make must fit within your budget. And it's not the same decision you made when you're 18, whether your mom and dad were helping you go to college or not. So it's completely different. You know, how, if I'm spending this much on my education, what camp am I not sending my kids to? Or, right, there's trade-offs. And that's what a, a working learners are thinking about. What's the trade-off? Um, trade-offs in time, which is an important one. When can I do my homework? And what am I giving up? And, and trade-offs in dollars. I think relevancy of program. Is this program going to give me skills so I can increase my earnings? And so program relevancy is a big one. Um, I think another one is accessibility. Can I learn when I want to, or are you going to force me to learn when you want me to? So there's a difference between, we say, the asynchronous, which means learning whenever you want, versus the synchronous when you got to be in class at five o'clock, even in an online environment. A lot of students like to self-paced. Um, your assignments do Sunday. You know what? You want to do it Monday? That's great. You want to do it on Sunday at 11 p.m.? Great. That's up to you and what kind of person you are. I think those are the main variables. But I, but I also think um, the working learner is more uh, has a greater expectation of customer service. And they look at everything like a deliverable of customer service. And if you break that bond, the expected bond of customer service, like anything, right? If you take a flight with United and it's a horrible flight, you might go, I'm not flying United again. Same thing as exists for a student. And now they can transfer really easy. Transfers are a lot easier. So if you don't serve them, you can expect them to go bye-bye. And that's what institutions need to get good at is serving the students and creating the brand loyalty. That makes a lot of sense. Hmm. No one's told me that all day, so I appreciate it, George. Uh, <laughs> I made a lot of no-sense statements you're, today, but I'm ending the day on a positive note. I think you're doing a great job. You're, you're, you're explaining things succinctly and in a way that I can take and, and, and actually make decisions off of. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, good <laughs> questions. Higher ed is a, a fun place to work, man. There's a, and there's a, It's funny, there's a lot of um, 
there's practical individuals, there's impractical individuals that, you know, because you're dealing with academic programs and operations all at the same time and building maintenance. Some of these institutions are literally small cities with police forces. And I mean, it's pretty crazy um, what, you know, a higher ed institution is like, and you don't have to read the news um, to know, well, if you do read the news, you know, that sometimes they can be not so safe places. Unfortunately, uh, these days, somehow college campuses have been a place where we see violence. And uh, that's another thing that we have to contend with, which is an unfortunate, unfortunate thing. Yeah. Fascinating. The new set of challenges and opportunities that are facing the administration and students and parents and everything else that are aside from simply a learning environment. I'd be remiss not to ask you your thoughts on artificial intelligence and new companies coming out with things like ChatGPT and how that's going to impact education. Oh, this is the ultimate conversation for us in higher ed right now. Who wants to use AI? Who doesn't? Can a student who's using AI be, uh, can it get detected? Can it not get detected? How will I know if the student's work is original? You know what? We It, it is going to be a fun journey. I think for institutions that embrace it and try to create curriculum around it. So how can I use chat GPT or other AI programs to generate something that the student has to then critique the AI work as a part of an assignment versus having them just submit an assignment that you don't know. I, I don't think the AI detection tools will keep up with how fast AI um, improves. I think it's going to be real, really hard for detection tools to keep up. But you know, if you say, hey, go to ChatGPT, ask it to, to create a uh, a paper on the Lifeblood uh, podcast and why it's important. Mm. And then you um, take that article and in the margins, write your comments of why you agree, disagree, what's right, what's not, and submit that. It, there's critical learning that happens. So I think that's the argument that's happening is how we implement it. But boy, is it here to stay. I use ChatGPT like, I don't know, 10 times today to generate work. It's fascinating, right? It's like spy versus spy. It's chicken of the egg. <laughs> it is. You, it's, you know what? But isn't technology just going to be here? So either you're on board or you're not. Are you going to get in the flying car? Or are you going to say, I'll never get in the flying car? You know what? You're going to get in it because eventually, same thing with electric cars. You know, using the car example, eventually we'll be all electric someday. Um, will gas cars will be a, a relic? Um, and it's, you know, do you want to be a relic or do you want to be on the front end like George and I? That's the question. Yeah, I think that is the important question right there. I'm sure everybody wants to be up here on the front end with the other smart people like that's like, right. like, like, like Joe and I. <laughs> right. So says Chad GPT. Yes, it's exactly right. Well, Joe, thank you so much for coming back on. Where can people learn more about you? Where can they get their copy of Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education? Uh, so the book's available on Amazon. Just look up Commencement, the beginning, and it should pop right up. You can go also to commencementthebook.com, and that's our direct website. Check it out. If you pick up a copy, let me know what you think. Um, you can find me very easily on LinkedIn um, through my personal website, joeslucio.com. LinkedIn's probably the best way to get a hold of me. If you have comments, questions, I respond to everything. Um, I love random conversations with people. You never know where they can take you. Um, and that's that's where people can find me, very accessible. And of course, check out Lindenwood uh, for your educational needs and we'll be here to serve you. Love it. 
Well, if you enjoyed this much as I did, show Joe your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Pick up your copy of Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education on Amazon or go to commencementthebook.com. Pick up a copy there. Find Joe on LinkedIn or his website, which is joesalustio.com. It's J-O-E-L-J-O-E-S-A-L-L-U-S-T-I-O.com. And then check out Lindenwood University as well for your educational needs. Thanks good, Joe. Thank you. And until next time, remember, do your part by doing your best.